Hello and welcome to Unknown Worlds of the Merrill Collection. I am your host, Oliver Brackenbury. The Merrill Collection of Science Fiction, Speculation, and Fantasy is the Western Hemisphere's largest publicly accessible archive of genre materials. Each week, we explore a different world of genre fiction in conversation with a special guest. Today, I'll be discussing LGBTQ plus sci-fi and fantasy fiction with author Kelly Robson, who is here to share some of her opinions and experiences. Kelly is a Canadian short fiction writer. She was awarded the 2018 Nebula Award for Best Novelette, as well as both the 2016 and 2019 Aurora Awards for Best Short Story. On top of that, she's been a finalist for the Hugo, Nebula, World Fantasy, Theodore Sturgeon, Locus, Astounding, Aurora, and Sunburst Awards. Kelly is also a friend of the Merrill Collection, who has graced us with her presence at past events, providing entertaining readings of her work and fascinating literary insights while being just loads of fun. Hi, Kelly. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Uh, so I thought we could start with something fun uh, I found when I was doing my research for this, which was uh, I noticed um, on your About section of your website, you mentioned that when you were a teenager, you competed in barrel racing. Yeah. <laughs> what is barrel racing? And could oh. you tell us about your career? Do you? Oh, my career. It was hardly a career. I was a teenager. Um, it was a, I was always a horse-obsessed kid. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you know this, but, you know, a lot of Teenage girls are just nuts about horses. Mm. And and I have a theory about that. And, you know, <laughs> uh, my theory is that it's about power, is that young, young, young women get crazy about horses at the point at which they're beginning to realize how many restrictions the world puts on them. Mm. And, and horses are a, nobody screws around with you when you're on a horse. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have more power than them, uh, which is kind of cool. So I was very lucky that um, when I was about, 10 years old, my dad decided to uh, move uh, to a ranch, to buy a ranch, or what was, do you call it a ranch or you call it an acreage, right? It's not really a ranch. It's not, you know, but uh, in Alberta, this is on the the foothills of the Rocky Mountains. It's a beautiful, beautiful area. And dad had always wanted to have horses. Mm. And so he was living his dream. And uh, lucky for me, his dream was the same as mine. So I got to uh, to ride horses, and we lived fairly near the rodeo grounds. I got to go there and practice, and so I was a rodeo princess. Oh, cool! <laughs> um, I competed for uh, rodeo queen twice when I was thirteen, and when I, again when I was fourteen, and uh, competed in barrel racing at the gym canna and all the other gym canna events. Why is it called barrel racing? Because I won't lie, I'm a city slicker. Oh, I, okay. I I was literally imagining some kind of Niagara Falls situation with barrels, <laughs> I, but yeah. <laughs> So oil barrels put in a triangle in the middle of an arena, Mm -hmm. and what you do is you uh, race your horse around the barrels in a cloverleaf pattern. It's a timed timed race, so it's a sprint. It's a sprint with turns, and if you knock over the barrel, uh, you get a time penalty, Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. So it's, 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 uh, it's one of the rodeo events that is, um, more famously, uh, a woman's event than a man's event, although men compete in it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'd love to dig deeper, but alas, not a barrel racing podcast. Although I would, I would listen to that. Um, okay. So let's, I can uh, tell you all about it. I can tell you all my rodeo stories. Oh man. Well, maybe, maybe we'll get some extras on the back end. Um, all right. Well, let's barrel forward Mm -hmm. Uh, into, uh, into our subject matter, um, for this episode. Uh, I'm curious, would you mind sharing with our listeners what your first experience was uh, growing up finding uh, queer genre work on the shelves? Oh, <laughs> when did I find queer genre work on the shelves? 
Um, Subtext or text. Yeah, like, I guess I was, you know, I wasn't a child. I was probably in my 20s. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a lot older than I look. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no. Um, I suppose the first thing I actually read was there's this really weird and wonderful trilogy by a writer named Suzette Hayden Elgin that was written in the early 80s, um, and it's called the Ozark Trilogy. Mm-hmm. And it's about a planet called Ozark, which is basically... Is it? Are they Mennonites or something? Well, it's 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 a religious faction out mm. out in the um, and it's a planet that is populated by basically family-led city states, mm-hmm. and there is magic, even though they're out on a planet. So it's kind of science fiction, but it's kind of fantasy as well. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that trilogy, spoilers. <laughs> um, there's some kind of trans things happen, like a trans thing happens. Oh, okay. Like the the villain who was a woman ends up turning into a man, and then everything is okay, and they have a romance. Or is it that the villain is a man, and they turn into a woman, and then they have a romance with the... There's some kind of trans thing going on there. Yeah. And it... And I, I'd like to go back to those books and look at them because I'm not even entirely sure that I imagined that ending, <laughs> and it was something like really weird. Um, so, but but that was definitely the first thing that I read. So that was Suzette Hayden Elgin's uh, Ozark trilogy, okay. which is wild and bizarre. Sounds interesting. I yeah, I go back and check it out. Yeah, yeah. they've got it at the Merrill. Oh uh, yes. Uh, the Merrill, of course, is the place you go to find all of these things. So I know exactly where I need to go to find it. And I will have to go there and, and check out the ending and see if it, it's as I remember it. It's always funny when that happens, eh? When yeah. you're like, this thing that really made an impact on me, yeah. but was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there are so many things that we read that uh, we kind of think, you did I actually experience that? This is a wonderful thing about reading, right? Mm. Like, our imaginations are so powerful. You know, they do, um, they, the great yeah. they out there, are scientists who are they, mm-hmm. um, uh, done studies on 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 our brain uh, our, our our brain patterns and and show that when we imagine something it's the same brain patterns the same perceptual patterns as actually um, experiencing it. Oh, gee. Well, it's funny because it makes me think about uh, sort of the addendum to this question, which is, you know, how did your early queer readings uh, influence your own writing? Um, and in the case of this, it's kind of neat to think that was it the text or was it your idea of the text? And, you know, and, and what effect did that have? You know, these sort yeah. of reflections of things having maybe more impact than what actually, you know, the actual subject. Yeah, I didn't I didn't read a lot of queer um, science fiction and fantasy when I was younger. But, I, you know, I read... Um, a uh, woman on the edge of time, of course, mm-hmm. um, which highly feminist work, and um, uh, that sort of thing. But uh, you left know, hand I have of a, darkness. Did that come up with left hand of yeah. darkness? I read that in university. Oh, okay. um, not terribly queer. I suppose not. I, 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 I saw it come up in a lot of lists of my research for this because of the sort of yeah. some people refer to gender queer, some people as trans. The way the the, the people of that switch from switch. you know what's really interesting about that is is um, uh, Ursula Le Guin is held up. You know, of course, as 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 a pioneer for this for mm-hmm. that book, and and um, but if you if you read it closely, like I did in university, um, you will notice that all of the the negative metaphors that she has in there to describe people who are are not showing positive behavior um, are female. Oh dear. Yeah. 
yeah, take a close look at that because that's so, it's so pretty was interesting. Hysterical so, kind of thing, or? Yeah, that and you know, or she looked like an old, or they, it looked like an old washerwoman or whatever the hell. Okay. You know, um, it's it's super interesting, and it, it, these subconscious things that that seep into one's work, right? Yeah. I'm mean, not saying anything against Ursula Le Guin. Oh, she's sure. a goddess. But, but she, she grew up when she did, yeah, and then yeah, we're all yeah. shaped by the times we come from. It's yeah. super interesting. And oh. uh, I've never heard anybody else mention that, but yeah. Okay. Um, so would, would there be any particular uh, works that influenced your writing, do you feel? Joanna uh, Russ. For okay. sure, there's there's the queer, uh, the lodestone, or, yeah, the lodestone of queer. With the, what would be sort of her hit single? Um, right, so the female man. Yes. Yeah. Also, um, Tip Tree. Tip Tree. James Tip Tree, huge influence. Connie Willis, mm-hmm. Michael Bishop. Okay. Michael Bishop. <laughs> Michael Bishop. Oh, he's such a genius. Oh, I love him so much. Um, so the book, his work is just amazing. He is an uh, unbelievably fantastic writer I've worshipped since I was um, you know, early 20s. Um, mm-hmm. He is a highly literary science fiction writer. Um, one of his best known works is No Enemy But Time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has done it all. He does do it all. He still does it. And um, I got to write... Uh, the introduction for a reissue of one of his books oh, cool. uh, called um, The City and the Signets, which uh, which I was just unbelievably bowled over to have the opportunity to write an introduction to a Michael Bishop book. What? <laughs> no, it was so great. Mm. And he he's a genius. Um, I can't recommend, though, my favorite book of his, I can't recommend it anymore because it is, um, it's so hard. It's, it's called Brittle Innings. Mm -hmm. It is a baseball book. It is set in, uh, World War II in Georgia. And it is about a young, uh, high school student who gets recruited for a uh, you know lowest level of the professional level of baseball players? Uh, farm team. Like farm below, team. Think, yeah. yeah, farm team. Um, thank you. Uh, and he uh, so he ends up you know leaving home for the first time and and going and playing professional baseball, which is his dream. Mm-hmm. And his uh, roommate in the in the, the the house that all the base all the non married baseball players mm-hmm. share. Um, is is a a very um, eccentric man mm. with a very interesting and very science fictional backstory, but I can't recommend anybody read the book anymore because it uses the N word and that's just not okay anymore, right? Mm. Yeah, tricky so, stuff. And I certainly can't recommend it to any of my friends of color because yeah. I'm not going to recommend they read a book that has that word in it. So, ah, even though I revere Michael Bishop, I wish he would. You know, just excise that word from the book. Yeah, I mean, it's it may be historically accurate that it's used, and the way he uses it is sensitively in that the main character uses it at the beginning and learns not to use it at the end. But uh, no, hmm. just can't do that. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I guess actually that brings us to something I was going to ask you about uh, nearer the end, but we may as well dive in now. Um, it can, you know, sort of a, a, a theme of, of our podcast is looking at, you know. 
not only the present and what may come, but the past and how that informs those other two. And it can be tricky, perhaps, when um, you're trying to study the genre, trying to maybe recommend people check out texts from the genre. I mean, but then you run into things like what you mentioned, which uh, can be subject matter that is very difficult or, or triggering uh, for the reader. Um, how how do you how would you suggest someone who's trying to learn, you know, more about uh, queer genre works, uh, navigate that? You know, or, or how do you how do you personally navigate that when, when you're trying to uh, say recommend authors you love, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess. Do you do you necessarily need to read the old stuff? I don't know. Yeah. I think there's a time. I think there's a, a time and a place when you need to read the old stuff, or when the old stuff is is a thing for you to to read. Um, I read a lot of Heinlein when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't read Heinlein now. I loved it then, and I know that I wouldn't love it now. It's, and, you know, uh, it was a good education in science fiction, but I don't know if that's necessary. I think you could read works that were published in the 80s and 90s, and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, you, could, you don't necessarily have to read the old stuff. Scholars have to study it. Mm-hmm. And that's good. And and if anybody is super interested in the questions around this, um, the podcast, uh, Cood Street Podcast, mm-hmm. by Jonathan Strawn and Gary K. Wolf, they discuss this sort of thing all the time okay. um, about you know what what do the classic works or the <laughs> or the non classic but influential old works mean to us and what do we get out of them and why should we read them and which ones should we read as they also discuss ones that aren't well known at all Mm -hmm. but that they consider to be excellent and they are they are experts on it there are also like for example gary k wolf uh is a scholar Mm-hmm. And he has been editing these um, uh, anthologies of novels and by decade. Mm-hmm. So he's done like the, the 12 essential science fiction novels of the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And then he just came out with the one for the 60s. And they're in two volumes. I think they come out from the Library of America. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that that's a, cur- a, a sensitively curated uh delve into the history of the genre chosen by an absolute expert and scholar in the field. So who also loves a good read and an enjoyable read, right? Good. Yeah. So I'd recommend that too. If yeah, go to go to those anthos. Um, I look forward to his 1970s one, but uh, we're going to have to wait for a while because the 60s one just came out. Fair enough. Uh, thank you for. Uh, I'm excited to read that myself. Thank you for letting mm-hmm. me know. Would you have um, any advice to uh, writers regarding uh, sensitivity when writing LGBTQ plus characters who are outside of their own identity? Uh, I'm going to answer that in a weird way. Okay. When I write about. Uh, when I set stories in the area that I grew up, which is Hinton, Alberta, mm-hmm. um, which we talked about <laughs> recently, um, I find it really important, or at least I, I have found it really important so far, to acknowledge, um, <laughs> to acknowledge the fact that that land belonged to Indigenous people, hmm. and still does belong to Indigenous people, and that there's a history there, and that. Um, so I have a couple of stories set in um, in my hometown and in both cases I found it necessary from a storytelling point of view to make the, the main characters indigenous um, I'm white mm-hmm. uh, I tried to do it sensitively I tried not to be a jerk <laughs> about it I tried not to um, 
tried not to. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> to, do, to do it in an honest way that I hope um, wouldn't trample on anybody's spirits, psycho- psychological or, or, or spiritual. Um, so I hope that anybody who was uh, writing any identity that, you know, wasn't theirs mm-hmm. um, would do the same. Do you, do you feel perhaps it's a question of being willing to do the work, right? Like the further you yeah. wander out from your own space, yeah. do the research. Yeah. Uh, maybe sensitivity readers? How do you feel about that? I mean, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Um, there was actually, there was an interesting fight. It wasn't really a fight. A little clash that I had online maybe about a year ago with uh, writer Scott Lynch. Okay. Where, uh, yeah. So he was asking uh, on Twitter, he was saying... Um, I've got this gay character, and I, uh, I, you know, I don't know anything about gay men's first sexual experiences. Why don't y'all gay guys tell me about it, mm-hmm. and you can DM me? And I got really pissed off because here's this famous writer, uh, basically saying gay boys bear your soul to me. In mm-hmm. uh, he's got all the power, he's got all the power. And, and that could be a, quite a exploit, exploitive situation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so I just told him, listen, you know, don't do that. Don't do that on Twitter. Don't, don't, don't. <laughs> and, and, um, and, you know, it's not, we didn't have much of a back and forth. But it, it, it made me angry because he, he should, if he wants to know that stuff, he should talk to his gay friends. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't have gay friends, then he shouldn't be writing it. Mm-hmm. Right? So, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, like are, are, you, are you working completely from your own imagination about something that you know nothing about? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, now, I would never claim to be an expert at all in Indigenous issues, but I have tried to educate myself, and I know about the history of Indigenous people in my area, in, in the area that I grew up in, and they were my friends and classmates. Um, and and um, and my dad's clients, because hmm. he was a lawyer, and uh, and and the people in my neighborhood. They were the people in my neighborhood. Yeah. Um, apparently, Scott didn't have gay men in his neighborhood that he could ask that question for. Or, or so maybe, maybe he, he, he should. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, nothing a, against him. No, He's no, no, a, a lovely yeah. human being, uh, but. That, yeah, that really got up my craw. Yeah, and it is kind of interesting. I've seen uh, writers in other contexts just sort of throw out to their audience, um, you know about this thing, you know, can you do my research for me yeah. almost? Well, it's um, different if it's like, what's your favorite cake recipe? Yeah. But not, like, what's your, what's, what's your, what's your extremely what's your personal lived extremely experience? Extremely lived experience <laughs> of your first sexual yeah. experiences hmm. is, that's, ooh, that's, that's not the same. No. One of these things is not like the <laughs> yeah, other. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so okay. so I think yeah, it's something to talk about for sure. Yeah, Glad look, we did. Look to, look to more your personal network, maybe than well, uh, yeah. and, 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 and and do research and then and uh, then just chucking it out there. Yeah. yeah. Well. Like so much of what we're discussing today, I suppose it's uh, still being figured out. Uh, so yeah. always very subjective. And it's good that we're. Yeah. Trying to figure it out, right? Like, yeah. this is good. It's Absolutely. good. And, um, yeah. Uh, and uh, if we can veer over, uh, so I think, 
by all means, let me know if I'm, I'm off base here, but I think it's fair to say in terms of representation, uh, we're doing better now than, say, Highlands Day. Or, oh, yeah. You know, absolutely, there have absolutely. been advances. But it does seem that, of course, there's probably still work to be done, um, and that maybe, uh, you know, the representation of LGBTQ plus characters is, uh, in sci-fi and fantasy, somewhat uneven. I came across something interesting I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on. Um, an author named Ross Johnson uh, wrote in the Barnes & Noble you know, book blog uh, about how he felt there was a, a curious dearth of queer uh, male protagonists in sci-fi, less so fantasy, and it was noteworthy if only for the unusual situation of there being uh, such a, a much greater abundance mm -hmm. of uh, queer, whether cis mm -hmm. or trans, um, women representation mm -hmm. in those genres. And while he was the first one to acknowledge that, you know, what about the men mm -hmm. is a weird question to be asking in most contexts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he did sort of, you know, he said in this one particular one, it is it is interesting, you know, I wonder why that is, you know, what, what brought us to that point historically yeah I don't know um, do, you, do you feel there's any particular uh, identity whether it be criminal or otherwise uh, that could use a bit more spotlight uh, in, in sci-fi and fantasy uh, yeah um, there's uh, I have quite a few friends who are trans mm -hmm. um, trans work definitely we could see more of that there's um, and uh, yeah, I would agree that you, there are more lesbian works out there than than gay works out there, or with gay characters. There's uh, there's one coming out uh, by uh, my friend K M Spara, mm -hmm. and it's called Docile. It's science fiction. It's a huge book. It must be like 600 pages or something. Extremely gay. And extremely uh, lots of sex, tons of sex, cool. and you know, um, not nice fluffy sex either. <laughs> <laughs> so I highly recommend that book. So so that's interesting. It'll be interesting to see how that influences writers, yeah. right? As we've had, um, I can't think of any great. Oh, I mean, uh, that's not true. I can't think of a great gay writer. Um, in, in, in our, I was thinking, you know, we have Joanna Russ mm -hmm. as, as the, the lesbian icon. Um, Samuel Delaney? Samuel Delaney, I was thinking that's, the, that's the, the gay icon, the great gay icon. But is he more considered, like, more known for just being a great science fiction writer, mm -hmm. not necessarily known as a gay writer? I, don't, I haven't read that much of his stuff. Like, does he get into a lot of... Uh, it's certainly uh, the back end of his uh, canon. He yeah. was quite understandably uh, closeted uh, yeah. in his public persona for a good chunk of his mm. works. Uh, not that I'm an expert, but this is this is what I'm yeah. aware of with his yeah. uh, stuff. And then he came out in the yeah, so his characters came out of the closet. Right. Yeah, um, I've only read canon. some of his older stuff, so and yeah. it seemed to me there wasn't a lot of gay stuff, and that's reasonable. Whereas Joanna Russ, you know, she was out from moment one. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, in terms of getting published, getting read, getting recognized, um, how, how do you feel the current state of things is um, in terms of any barriers might be placed for, for queer, trans, you know, LGBTQ plus uh, creators? Are we in a pretty good place right now, or are there still some sad puppies lurking uh, in the wings <laughs> causing trouble? Uh, you know, things are pretty good. I, um... Hmm. I... There are several, uh, many of the uh, most influential short fiction um, magazines mm -hmm. are pretty open to, to queer stuff. Um, 
and we're seeing a lot of really interesting queer books happening. Uh, the one that I have read most recently, which just blew my mind, I loved it so much, was Gideon the Ninth, which is lesbian necromancers in space. And it's, it's, it's delightful. It's so wonderful. Um, you know, we had a uh, panel at Worldcon in Dublin in, in August of last year, and uh, we were discussing this. It was called The Lesbian Renaissance. And, you know, is there a great reflowering of lesbian science fiction and fantasy? Um, and what we, what we said was, yeah, there's, there's more now, but we can't take it for granted that it won't go away. Mm. And we can't take it for granted that the um, encroaching uh, conservative um, political wave won't claw back some of the visibility that we've been able to gain. So uh, we just got to keep on writing our stuff. And the fantastic thing is, the reason why this this wave is happening is that these is that a huge proportion of of readers, especially readers who are in Gen Y mm -hmm. or younger or millennials or whatever, um, are 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 genderqueer or queer in some way or identify themselves as that, and that's what they want to read. So uh, that's fantastic because that means the um, you know, uh, publishers sit up and uh, they take notice, and they want to read. They want to publish these things too, and the editors love stuff that they've never seen before, right? So, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I yeah, and I, and I hear you about the you know um, having to be vigilant. You know, it's nice to think that social progress is just forever moving forward, but now yeah. we have to we have to defend it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Kelly, you've been uh, wonderful in providing our listeners with uh, recommendations of reading throughout this whole interview. Um, but I did always plan to end with, you know, what works by LGBTQ plus <laughs> authors have most recently caught your eye? Uh, would, there, would there be any you'd like to add before we, we wrap this up? So, uh, LX Beckett has a uh, first novel called Game Changer, mm -hmm. which is a fantastic hard science fiction novel um, set in... Um, set in the point in Earth's history where climate change has happened, it's been catastrophic, mm -hmm. but humans are recovering, humanity is recovering, and there, hasn't, there has not been a complete, uh, you know, it hasn't, this is not a dystopia at all. No. People are actually trying to, to deal with, with the new reality. And, um, and it's uh, wonderfully hopeful, and it shows, I think, how much humanity like uh, can change and how how I think we'll have to change um, like that climate climate social yeah that. just uh, all the things that we take for granted our lawns our our houses are you know uh, there are other ways to live and mm -hmm. um, to be perfectly happy human beings so this is a super interesting very complex really fun book game changer how might one encourage uh, all readers to go into um, you know LGBTQ plus sci-fi fantasy even if it's not their identity you know yeah. readers are so such individuals right mm -hmm. we all come to reading for different things if you, what you come to reading for is to is to read the most exciting most innovative most uh, interesting stuff that is currently being produced right now mm -hmm. then you want to read queer stuff. You really do, because it is pushing the envelope like nobody's business, especially in science fiction fantasy. Mm -hmm. But 
neither would I ever want to tell somebody what they should, what they have to read. Mm-hmm. Um, if if all somebody wants to do is read is read um, Harlequin romance, go for it. Mm-hmm. Like read your face off. Um, it, I grew up in in a, a book deprived situation. I had um, now if 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 my relatives could hear me say that, they would say, "You had books? You had books? Yeah, I had eight books." <laughs> And if you read two books a day and you only have eight books, you have no books. It's not even right? a working week. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Um, so, so I uh, access to books is really important to me. I just want people to read. But I think that if you want people to read something specific, sell it to them. Tell them how great it is. Hype mm-hmm. it. Um, which I, I try to do. And I hope other people will do too. Yeah, I think But you- people should read what they want. Absolutely, and I think you've done a good job of hyping the, the works you mentioned today. It's excellent. So uh, thank you. Uh, so speaking of hyping works, why don't we uh, you know, tie this off? Uh, do you have any of your own works that are coming out or, or perhaps are out by the time of this recording airs uh, that you would uh, <laughs> like people to go check out? Yeah, I have, um, I have three things coming out. Two of them I can't talk about because I haven't been announced yet, oh, no. which is sad because they probably uh, will be announced by the time this podcast is aired. Well, you know what, listeners? Um, I will be in touch uh, with Kelly before when this episode goes online. If those works are no longer codenamed, you know, whatever. <laughs> That's right, uh, we, yes. we will put uh, details in the show notes for you to discover. Thank you. Uh, but the one thing that I can talk about is I just sold a story to Uncanny Magazine called uh, So You Want to Be a Honeypot, <laughs> um, which is set in Germany in the 1950s, and it's about a, uh, a young woman who is a Russian spy. And she's been trained as a honeypot, and uh, and she's been sent to uh, basically infiltrate uh, U.S. Air Force Base in um, in Germany, and uh, she she comes to learn that being a honeypot isn't all it's cracked up to be. Cool. Well, I'm definitely gonna check that out. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for you know giving us your time today, Kelly. Thank you. It's been so nice to talk with you. This has been Unknown Worlds of the Merrill Collection, hosted by myself, Oliver Brackenbury and produced by Chris Dickey as part of the Friends of Merrill. The Friends are an all-volunteer group dedicated to promoting the Merrill Collection through events and projects like this show. Learn more at friendsofmerrill.org. You can also check out the show notes for our social media links and to further explore today's topic. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time in another world.